Kiara, Nihao, and hello. Welcome to the Chiwi Journal podcast. I'm your host, Camille Yang. My guest today is Mona Sobani. She's a distinguished cognitive neuroscientist, researcher, and accomplished author with a rich and diverse professional background spanning over 15 years. Her wide-ranging interests have led her to explore the intersections of science, technology, spirituality, and human behaviors. In today's episode, we talk about Mona's book, Proof of Spiritual Phenomena: Our Psychedelic and Supernatural Experience, and some key findings in parapsychology. Thank you for joining us on this enlightening journey with Mona. We hope you gained valuable insight into the relationship between science and spirituality. Hi, welcome, Mona, and thanks to our mutual friend Tom Morgan's introduction. He introduced your books, and we also have a little group chat. We talk about spirituality, and yeah, so it's、uh, such a pleasure to have you on my show. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to have this conversation. Yeah, I always want to interview someone who has a scientific background, but also into spirituality, because I know sometimes this can be a very separate part. Because all my science、yeah. friends they're very skeptical about、uh, spirituality. <laughs> so I wonder what made you have this、uh, worldview transformation, and、uh, can you share some、uh, key moments or experience that triggered this、uh, transformation? Yep, yep, yeah. So I was definitely one of those skeptical scientists. <laughs> I, I mean, they they train you that way, you know. So I was very anti-spiritual, actually, and anti. Religious because for multiple reasons I think, but、uh, my parents came from Iran and there was you know an, an overthrow of their non-religious government for the religious government, so which appended you know the whole country and everything. So I think my family sort of I mean my mom was very spiritual, but I think a lot of my family just kind of turned anti-religion after that.、Um, so I grew up in that framework, and I was always very. You know, interested in like coincidences and and things like that, but not spirituality per se. But what happened was, I I basically had an existential crisis and a series of events that happened to me over the course of a few years. And、mm. one of them, it it started with my so my cultural background. As I mentioned, I'm Persian, and in in our our culture is actually quite mystical. If you go back、um, thousands of years to the troop. Persian cultural heritage—it's very mystical, you know. With、yeah. Sufism and、sure. um, you know, Rumi and Hafez are two famous poets that、uh, we still read. I still have on my nightstand that are very mystical and talk about, you know, like the forces of the universe. It's only in recent times that、um, the culture's been、um, co-opted by religion.、Mm. So it, we have a very kind of mystical, spiritual background. And my, as I mentioned, my mother is spiritual, and so my grandmother, you, we. They did something called divination, which is using—you can use anything. But my grandmother used coffee grounds, which probably sounds weird to Americans, but it's not <laughs> like American coffee. It's、uh-huh. this different kind of—it's like Turkish, Armenian, Greek,、uh, Middle Eastern coffee that you leave the grounds in the cup. It dries. It makes pictures, and then if you have somebody who's quote unquote intuitive, they can look into it and kind of tell you things about your life. And somebody taught my grandmother, and so she would do it for people, and she was very good. And my mom learned from her, and so my mom would do it at family parties and things like that. And everyone loved her readings. And of course, I was, you know, when things are in your family, you don't really like pay attention to them at yeah, all. Yeah, true. <laughs> so I didn't really pay attention to it. But when I was in grad school, I would go home on the weekends, and my mom would make me coffee, and then she would just start reading my cup. And at first, I didn't really pay attention, but I started noticing over time <laughs> things that she said would come true. And sometimes it would be things that were private, like really, really private to my life that I wouldn't have told anyone.、Um, and then a lot of times, they would be things in advance of it happening. And so I started taking notes <laughs> when she would do these casual readings to keep track. And、um, I just lived in cognitive dissonance because 
our mainstream scientific Western framework doesn't have any explanation for this kind of thing. You know, there's no way that you could know anything in the future. And it was also symbolic and science is very reductionist. We reduce everything to parts and like atoms and molecules, but the coffee was symbolic. Um, Like my mom would say, there's a turtle in the cup, which (laughs) indicates something is moving slowly. So it's, it was symbolic. And so I really couldn't make sense of it with science. And then, so that was just kind of there, but then there were, it was a few years where a few events happened Mm. that were really emotional. So one of them was, it was the death of someone I knew. And my mom had kept, you know, she got all weird when she was doing her readings for like six weeks in advance of this event happening. She kept saying like, and she never had said anything like this before. Um, you know, like, I think you're going to get bad news. And uh, like, she's like, like, I think really bad news. And she's like, I just want to warn you. And I don't want to say what it is, you know, because I don't want to, what if I'm wrong? So it, it started making me nervous. And I kept asking my friends, like, who, which one of you has bad news? I know somebody has bad news. Just tell. But so then six weeks later, we found out that one of the professors at um, USC, which is where I got my PhD, and I had graduated at this point, but I was still closely tied to USC. Actually, I was working there. So he was killed by one of the students. And it was somebody who uh, had helped. He was, you know, beloved in the program, wonderful professor. He had helped me with one of my experiments um, on my dissertation. And so it was, you know, upsetting and shocking and like a horrible event that happened to our community. Mm. Um, and so then when I, when I found it and I told my mom, she was like, yeah, it was a death. And she's like, and I, she's like, I'd never seen anything like it. She's like, I didn't even know how to explain it. She's mm-hmm. like, it was just very violent and unusual. And so, which is what it was. And so that really shook me because this was like a death, life or death thing, right? Like all of her other readings had just been like don't lose money or, um, you know, make sure you think about this carefully before you make a decision or something. But this was like, this was big. And so it it scared me. It scared me and it confused me because I was like, science says that this is impossible. (laughs) How is this possible? But I was very busy at the time with a new job and, you know, dealing with the grief of that event. And so I just kind of ignored it. And then a few years later, mm. something else happened too. So I, I had this relationship I was in and my mom had said it was going to, you know, it was positive. Like she saw every aspect of it, embarrassingly, um, in the coffee and would tell me every weekend. Mm. And then it ended. And I was already in an existential crisis at this point because I had graduated with my PhD and I was in the workforce and I was kind of hitting that, even though I was in my early thirties, but I was, I was like, is this it? This is what we do forever. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Go to work. And I felt, it felt meaningless to me. And I was like, what is the point of life? Like that was the first time that question popped into my head. And so then with all of these things happening at once, um, I, I felt, you know, dealing with heartbreak and I just felt like, um, it was the first time I fell into like despair and hopelessness and, I didn't see the point of being alive. I wasn't suicidal, but I just really like, I was like logically, rationally, I was like, why do we do this? So that's where I was. And then, and then I begin, you know, I wasn't ready to like look at myself and the situation. So I focused on the coffee and I was like, it became this interesting thing to me because I was like, how could maybe science is wrong. And so Mm -hmm. I got interested in it and started exploring. And I think, cause I was at such a, you know, they always say like, you, you have to kind of be broken down or that, there's like some beautiful quote that I cannot remember right now, but it's like, you have to get whatever crap cracked for the light to come in. Oh, yeah, um, true. yeah. And that's what happened basically. <laughs> so I was, I would never have been open to these things at all before, but because I was in such a low place and it was part of the story, you know, part of the whole situation, I, I got interested in, I was like, well, what is divination and what does mm. symbolism, play, how does that play in? And maybe time doesn't work the way that we think that it does. I mean, what do we know? As a scientist, I know that we don't know a lot of things. Mm. So I got curious and launched this personal project, which then turned into the book, but it was essentially me just trying to find answers to these questions, these big questions of like, why are we here? What's the meaning of life? Um, but through this avenue, um, so like I started interviewing people who are extremely intuitive or psychic or whatever you want to call it. 
to understand their perspectives and their experiences. Then I interviewed scientists because then I thought I was going crazy because <laughs> I was like, I am I nuts for entertaining any of this? Mm. You know, the, the common sense or mainstream view is that all of this is fraudulent or it's been researched and dis- and disproved was kind of my sense or not researched at all or whatever. But I started looking into it and yeah, it just led me on this whole crazy journey, long journey of it opened the door to spirituality, which I think they're, they're, they're separate things. So that's how it started. I'll stop there so you can. After reading your book, I was like, <laughs> so resonated because I'm also very skeptical. I grew up in an academic background families. So everybody is like, okay, you need to like learn the science. And I was a science student in high school as well. I also found this very interesting because my grandfather and my father, they all trained in an academic uh, environment. But late in their life, they start to turn to spirituality. I found this um, change. I, I couldn't understand. But uh, back then, I was just mm. saying, why you start to look at this Chinese book like I Ching, so they can tell, okay, today you need to do what and you need to avoid what based on your like five elements or some mm-hmm. destiny elements. So I thought, Ugh. yeah, my grandfather <laughs> turned mad because I thought, wow, how come this uh, highly reputable scholar now become like so spiritual? <laughs> yeah, I couldn't understand. I think uh, his death like kind of uh, striked me. Because he kind of know since he's started his things yeah. in his late life. So he started to know. And also my dad, in his, I think he got probably like a middle age crisis. So he started to study some Buddhism. And he also yeah. gave me some like worship things. So I couldn't understand. I said, okay, thank you, daddy. But I don't. Yeah. <laughs> but it's kind of yeah. saved my life or just um, a lot of coincidence like uh, you mentioned in your books as well. So I start to feel like, hmm, interesting, this part. Yeah, and also I had my existential crisis when I was working in finance. You earn mm-hmm. a lot of money, but you still not feel happy, and there's so many yeah. mystical things happening around you. When you interview all these um, spiritual, mystical, and uh, psychic, so what What are the some findings you find is uh, very profound and you can share with my listeners yeah the most shocking thing initially was that um, a lot of my scientist colleagues were were open-minded they were all it turned out that they were more open-minded than I was it turned out I was actually one of the more close-minded skeptical mm-hmm. people um, yeah and so all of them when we would we sat down to have conversations about this you know I kind of asked them like have you ever experienced anything that you can explain with science uh, are you interested in, you know, paranormal, supernatural things? Do you think there's things that we can't measure with science and that kind of stuff? And yeah, we had to like, I've known these people for over a decade and we have some of the best conversations that we've ever had <laughs> in our relationships um, in, during that project. And they all were just like, first of all, they all had stories. Every single one of them had a personal story of either themselves or someone they knew having some sort of, you know, quote unquote anomalous thing happen to mm. them that they just couldn't explain with science. And all of them were very like, well, you know, there's a lot of things, there's a lot of things that we don't know in science. And, you know, we're supposed to be open-minded and curious. And if there's, you know, even one data point that, or if something happens just once, I think William James says this, if there's one white crow, then all crows are not black. Like mm-hmm. it just takes one instance yeah, of something <laughs> to make like a, a theory or a general statement not true. And yeah, in science, we're not supposed to ignore outliers because the, usually that data that, that doesn't fit the model is usually what causes a paradigm shift or an update mm. in a theory or a model. Um, and mm. so they're actually really important. But as scientists, we don't like them because they <laughs> break our models. Mm-hmm. And yeah. usually they're not what we're looking for. So, yeah, so I just found that, um, you know, and by the end of the writing the book, I and now I always say these are these are not anomalous experiences. They're human experiences. Everyone has them or everyone's capable of having them. 
Um, and I found that when I was talking to my scientist colleagues, mm-hmm. I was like, there's a very normal, we just ignore them and kind of whisper them to each other uh, because we're like embarrassed because of what Western mainstream culture to say anything, but that they're very common. And then with the intuitives, they, yeah, they were very interesting people. Um, they were all very different. And what I found interesting about them was I thought, you know, cause when I would go in, for, I would go in for readings with my friends, we made it this like fun thing. We live in Los Angeles. There's no shortage of psychics here. <laughs> so, yeah. um, we would go in for readings and I thought, and then they would start saying things about spirituality. Like they would say, this is a lesson, a soul lesson, or this person is part of your soul group, or this is from a past life or things like that. And I was not familiar with with any spiritual frameworks pretty much at all. Mm. Um, and definitely not the ones they were talking about. So it went over my head when yeah. they would, I would record them and write it down, but it didn't mean anything to me. So when I interviewed them, I would ask them about that. And like, where did you learn this spiritual framework? Did, did you grow like when you grew up is that what your family believed in or did you go to psychic school like is that what they teach you like I literally had no idea and they were most of them came from families that were not like that um you know one was like half Jewish half Christian her parents didn't believe in anything anomalous like another another one was like similar she's like oh no my parents um didn't believe in any of this they weren't religious or spiritual so then I would be like that's interesting. So then mm-hmm. how did you get into this? <laughs> um, yeah. And then, and they would just say, you know, something that I would consider crazy at the time where they'd be like, I don't know. I just knew like, or my spirit guide told me, or I had a dream and I understood that this is how it is. And I would, and with certainty, which I was, I was like in shock of, you know, cause I'm a scientist. I was like, what do you mean? You just know, <laughs> like, can you just accept it? <laughs> like yeah. I didn't, I didn't understand at all, uh-huh. but you know, I just listened and, and I was like, that's cool. And then, I mean, I'm, multiple of them said that. So then at some point I just got used to hearing it. And I was like, I guess this is just a thing. And none of them, at least not the ones I, I spoke to. Uh, I know that there are schools or classes and certifications that they can get, but uh, some of them were certified, um, but they were like, I didn't learn my skills. Like they were, you know, I've had them. I've always had them. I just learned how to use them maybe, you know, from me- class meditation classes or working with other people who are intuitive. So I thought that was really interesting. They were very matter of fact about it. It was really, I mean, when I think back on it now, it's just kind of funny thinking of how, who I was at the time and the things that they were telling me, you know, like in the book, I talk about one of them, just like one of the first interviews, she just starts telling me, she's like, you know, I've seen fairies. And I was just staring at her like, what, <laughs> what is <Yeah>. going on? <laughs> but, you know, I just came to know them as people too. And I, and they were very kind, uh, especially at a time mm-hmm. when I was very fragile, <laughs> they kind of held me, you know? So I, never wanted to denigrate them or discount their experiences. And that was kind of probably what helped me open up a little bit to what they were saying and, and just understand that these are humans and they have their own experiences. And, you know, as a neuroscientist, I know that we all perceive things and then we all make our own meaning, you know, like we create meaning in the, the stories in our lives, we create them. So and that's not to say that what they experienced is not true. I I believe that that is what they experienced and that is the meaning that they derived from it. So that's kind of how I tried to start approaching it. Um, but it was definitely hard um, coming from a very skeptical place to start. It was kind of like a crash course. It wasn't like a gentle entry yeah. <laughs> into spirituality. Yeah. Are there any like specific moment like convinced you? Because it took me like... A- at least a 30 yet like from 30 years for me to convince okay i think my shift would be like i accumulated so many interesting stories and i encountered a lot of supernatural things then okay i, I start to okay I'll, I'll accept that are there any like moments for you as well yeah i had a lot of moments it did take me a while it took a, let me think for a second yeah it took like maybe 
three years, mm-hmm. I would say, yeah. to become fully convinced. And there's two people that convinced me. Um, and one of them is a really good friend of mine who's extremely intuitive, but I didn't even know he was um, until <laughs> until some of this started. And then another one is one of the intuitives that I, I don't know if I, I didn't interview her, but um, but yeah, she's just one of the ones I came to know. The two of them together have have said things you want a story (laughs) yeah yeah that would be great (laughs) I'm trying to think um okay so I had a a mentor who actually is the one who encouraged me or made me write this book I had done all these interviews I had all these notes I didn't want to write a book but he was like no you got to write a book you got Mm. all these notes so he gave me a two-week deadline I wrote it um he helped me you know pull it all together anyway he that was in 2020. And then he passed away in 2021 from COVID at the end of the year and uh, in November. And then in December, I had my friend come over who, again, I didn't know he was this connected until he came over this yeah. night. This night. <laughs> so it was December. I was hosting him and his husband. They came over. And then he. I had not told him that... Uh, my mentor had passed away. Mm. Um, it had just happened really like, and I was still processing it. I think I wasn't like talking about it a lot, but he came over and he was like, he's like, I don't want to alarm you, (laughs) but you have a male spirit here for you. And then I was like, what? (laughs) That, that is alarming. (laughs) What are you talking about? (laughs) Um, and then I, and I was kind of like, oh no, don't tell me. I don't want to know. Like, you know, I I get scared of these things. I don't want to know. But he was like, no, no, it's positive. He's like, and it's someone who knows you. He's like, did someone pass away recently? Mm. And I was just staring at him like, what the hell is going on? (laughs) So then I told him, I was like, yeah, I mean, I guess, yes. My mentor passed away last month. And, um, and then he just started saying a lot of things really fast that, only my mentor would know and and oh and this was the craziest thing so a lot of those things he said were private but this was weird so he said um so I didn't find out about his death until a week after Mm -hmm. it happened and I was pretty upset about it um that no one got in touch with me (laughs) like um how come I didn't find out why did I find out a week later and then, so then my friend, as when he was over mm-hmm. for dinner, he's he said, he's like, you're upset about, like, did you find out, like, after it happened, like, way after or something? And I told him, I was like, yeah, I found out a week later. Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, don't worry about that. That was supposed to happen that way. Because he's like, were you doing something with your book that week? And I just stared at him because I had edits. I was doing the rounds of edits on my book. And I had edits that literally I think I received them the like day before he died and then they were due a week later and so when I turned the edits in that's the day I found out he died and so he said he's like did you have something to do with your book and I was like yeah I guess I had edits too he's like that's why you didn't find out for a week they they I don't know whatever the universe arranged it that way so that you mm-hmm. wouldn't be distracted so anyway when it's like and I've had a million moments like that with him of things that there's no, like no way that he would know. I didn't t- you know, talk to anyone about that. My one week, my <laughs> like edits, my, it was so crazy. I, you know, didn't even think about it. So I've had a million moments like that with him and with that other intuitive, like things that there's no way that they, very specific things like that um, with timing, with the person they're talking about, the messages they give that you're just kind of like, these are either the most accurate, wild, <laughs> coincidental guesses <laughs> Or there's something going on. Yeah. Yeah, true. I think I had one totally shocked me. I think last year, December last year, I have a friend and uh, her girlfriend is a psyche. But I never took her seriously. I was like, ah, psyche, whatever. (laughs) And uh, she (laughs) called me, uh, my best friend's girlfriend called me and said, oh, you need to pay attention to a redhead Irish I said, what? I have <laughs> never encountered any Irish people in my life, not to mention redhead Irish. And I think just after that call, then two days or three days later, there's an intern joined my company. And he's a oh. redhead Irish. 
what the hell? I think that's the moment.、Oh、yeah, because before is the also there's some like coincidence happens a lot, and、uh, I say、mm-hmm. okay, okay, whatever. <laughs> But this one I was like,、yeah. wow, because my friends they all live、yeah. in New Zealand and、uh, they have no idea. Like what my life in Europe、right. now, and my company is in New York. So it's all this、uh, such a coincidence. I just couldn't believe it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's those ones that really. Yeah. That really scary. Kind of and, yeah. Yeah. They are kind of scary. <laughs> like how how come <laughs> you know? Because I have this vision. Blah blah. So、like, oh wow. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. I know. It took me a while to get used to it, but now I'm more used to it. But they're kind of. Once you get over the scary part, though, they're kind of exciting. You're like, "Whoa, reality is way more interesting than I thought it was." True. Yeah. You mentioned the parapsychology phenomenon in your book. I didn't quite get it. Would you mind elaborate about that and、uh, all the extensive researches you done on this part? Ah,、uh, the research. Yeah. So I、um, assumed, actually assumed at the beginning of this project that there. Hadn't been any re- like lab research done on、um, what they I guess the field is called parapsychology now they call it psi research psi、yeah. mm-hmm. and I thought there wasn't any research because I was like I don't know anyone who does this research I've never heard anything about it but then when I started doing interviews、um, just for my own personal project I came across there was this institute called the Winbridge. Institute or research center, and they they actually did quintuple blinded studies with、um, mediums, and they they had a whole protocol. They had a whole center. They certified like nineteen of them. They tested them. They had this whole like testing protocol,、um, and they had published scientific papers. So、mm-hmm. I spoke to the guy and I read their papers, like one of the co-founders, and he gave me this huge reading list. He's like, "There's been like over a hundred years、mm-hmm. of research done." On this, it, at Duke, at Princeton, at UCLA, at Berkeley, like at big, you know, universities,、um, and he's like, "I'll give you a reading list." So he gave me the list, and I dug in, and I found out that he was right. And then just, I think, in I think that was in 2020, and then it, so two years prior in 2018, there had been a review of the meta analyses published. So in science, that means a review is like when you review all of the evidence in a field. And a meta-analysis is similar, except it's more technical. So you like pull all of the studies together, and you look at the statistics, and you you kind of try to determine the effect size of the effect you're looking for. So there had been one published that reviewed like all this like hundred years of research. Wow. And、uh, yeah, and it determined it was like there is an effect here, and it was a, it was I don't remember the number anymore. Sorry, I should like know this. I wrote it in the book, but I remember that、um, I, I remember there were different kinds of phenomena, and I can talk about them if you want. But some of them,、mm-hmm. and so there was a range in effect size. But what shocked me was that the effect sizes were, which means like the higher the effect size, the stronger the effect. Like if it's a really weak effect size, then it's hard. To detect it, so it's like if you're trying to find it in a population, it'll be harder to find. So what was interesting was some of the effect sizes were comparable to like、um, the what we find in neuroscience research and in psychology research, and definitely in clinical research.、Mm-hmm. Like I think clinical medicine, you, they have to it has to be a certain percent efficacy.、Um, You know, to and so I, when I compared, I went in the literature to compare it to like diabetes medicine, antidepressants, and it was like comparable to those. And so I was shocked. And then also the the methods, like you know, a lot of times people won't even read those papers, and they'll say, <laughs>、uh, "Oh, they're faulty,、um, bad desi- scientific designs." But because they've been so scrutinized, there's been all the all this work into making them. Uh, airtight. So a lot of their designs were actually way better than normal neuroscience or psychology because we don't have the same scrutiny. So when I when I dug through all of that, I was you know I was shocked. I mean I was like this is crazy. Like this is really good evidence, and it's insane to me that anybody would discount this. It's as good as anything.、Um, it's as good as other neuroscience and psychology findings. So. 
after that, I thought, all right, well, there's scientific evidence for it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know the psychedelics is、uh, has an influence on mental illness, especially PTSD. But still, in the mainstream society, they still not accept that. Although this has like thousands years history, and recent studies also very focus on it. Can you explain why and what what stops the mainstream to accept that? It's a long history with psychedelics. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of damage was done in the seventies.、Um, you know, and it's a whole political thing,、um, mm. really. But And I think actually,、um, Jules Evans writes a really great. He runs something called the Challenging Psychedelics Project, and he has a great newsletter that used to be called the Challenging Psychedelics Project. I think it's called Ecstatic Integration now. But he talks about this about the difficult relationship between psychedelics and Western culture because Western culture has a problem with ecstatic experiences or、mm. like. Experiences of like pure joy <laughs> and <laughs> mystical and spiritual experiences, right? Like the whole Western ethos is work hard, be productive, don't waste time,、um, you know, be serious. Like, and so it has a hard time understanding、um, these ecstatic states, which psychedelics would be considered one one of those. Where, and to be honest, that's the perception I had. I remember when、mm-hmm. I. Was turning to look at psychedelics in this journey. I thought, that's so weird. Who even cares about psychedelics? Aren't they just hallucinogens? Like I didn't know. And so then I went to read the literature, and then I was shocked again to find that I was like, wow. First of all, they're very healing.、Um, apparently, they were studied from the 1950s to the 70s before they were outlawed by psychiatrists. Psychiatrists used them to get patients' conscious minds out of the way, so patients could more easily see their own behavioral patterns and problems and resolve them. And I was like, "What? This is nuts!" Like a, like a hallucinogenic does that, you know? So then you, you, I found all that research, and then of course the modern day research, all of with MDMA for PTSD, psilocybin for depression, and they're just continuing that tradition. But and it's a shame, you know. We've lost so many years of research. We could have been way far more advanced in our understanding of them. But we're, you know, trying to catch、mm-hmm. up. So yeah, I think the reason, of course, is political. Like, yeah, in the U.S., it was Nixon and his drug war, and they suppressing the anti-war movement. You know, all of that. But I think also, as I said,、um, Jules Evans does a nice job of talking about how, you know, in general. Western culture kind of has a problem chilling out、mm. and like enjoy enjoying joy,、yeah. right? Like it, it has it has a difficult relationship, I think, with ecstatic experiences. So、um, I think that's definitely part of it, and I think that that because、um, because now we don't we don't necessarily have the same political climate, right? We see actually the opposite. We see a lot of states decriminalizing or legalizing access to psychedelics. We see, I mean, I went to the psychedelic science, the MAPS conference this summer, and Rick Perry, conservative governor Rick Perry, was on stage <laughs> talking about supporting them. So,、Great. you know, I think <laughs> I think that's changed, but、yeah. I think that the culture in general、um, still has an uneasy relationship. And I also get it because psychedelics are. Uh, it takes a lot of courage to do them because、mm. you don't know what you're gonna get. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Can you share some your personal experience with psychedelic, like some most、uh, yeah. profound experience or highlights from your trips? Sure.、Um, I would say as a as a neuroscientist, so I've tried、uh, a few things, but I did LSD once, and it was what blew me away was the <laughs> I always describe it like this: It's like you're living in two D, and then you take a psychedelic, and suddenly you're in three D. Yeah, <laughs> so su- suddenly, like you understand, you feel right. You feel、yeah. so much more strongly. So you feel like all of these emotions that you normally suppress or that are, are normally muted, right? Usually, the volume is turned down on our emotions. And suddenly, yeah, they're turned way up, and you're like, "Wow, I didn't know I could、yeah. feel that deeply," you know. And it's a and it's a wide range, right? If you're listening to music, your emotions can change like that as the music changes, and so it's just this beautiful experience of of like 
coming into your body suddenly and your mind and like seeing the relationship between your mind, your body and your environment in a totally new way and, uh, you know, coming to appreciate it. Um, That's, that was my first, no, actually that wasn't my first experience, but that was my first like really profound experience. And then I think last, wait, what year is it? Yeah. Last year, (laughs) 2022, I tried five methoxy DMT, five MEO DMT. Um, And that one was life-changing. I mean, in so many ways, it was the, I had the complete ego death, complete dissolution, and I became the entire universe, all of space and time, all at once. I was every piece, atom, molecule of the universe all at once. And and then I also had a near-death experience, though, in it. And so it, it was one of those experiences that you would consider a challenging psychedelic, the the near-death experience is kind of challenging, but they also, that's why I love some of the mystical or esoteric traditions. I like look to those now because they talk about, it's like an initiation, right? And it's death and rebirth. And Mm. it's, they kind of say once you, when you die, before you die, like, it helps you because you know. And so I, I felt like I came back from that trip. You know, when I thought I died in the trip, the only thing I thought of was, oh my God, I didn't get to say goodbye. Sorry, I'm getting emotional. Oh, <laughs> but I was like, I didn't, sharing. To, mm. I, like, I didn't get to say goodbye to the people I love. Yeah. So when I came back, it was just a realization. Like I didn't think about money. I didn't think about mm. accomplishments. I didn't sure. think about a single one of my possessions. <laughs> the only thing I thought about were the people in my life and how I didn't get to say goodbye. So it was, yeah. And I, I just came back also just really glad to be alive. That's <laughs> so... Yeah. So, and I think, so again, like coming, um, experiencing that on a personal level level was just very evolutionary, but I think also from a neuroscience perspective, like, again, it's like, Mm. and that one was actually like stepping into 5d, honestly, five (laughs) meal was like 5d. It was like a whole new level of understanding of, of existence and of our universe. It was a very, very intense thing. So I, you know, obviously it's not for everyone. Yeah. And that's why I say it takes courage because you don't know what you're going to get. I, I know I had friends, other neuroscientists who did 5-MEO and their experience was all love and like white light. And, you know, I was like, how nice for you. Meanwhile, I died in mine. Um, but like, you know, it's different for everyone. You don't know what you're going to get. Yeah. Um, so, but I, I think they're, I think the evidence also suggests that they're very useful mm. clinically and I also think personally, they're they're great um, personal development tools. Yeah, I think I had two psychedelic experience with uh, the plants, ayahuasca and San Pedro. Oh, last year, those. yeah, November last year, I also have the near death experience with ayahuasca, and I also <gasps> saw my parents there because I haven't seen them almost yeah three or four years since the pandemic because you know they 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 were they are living in china mm-hmm. so the chinese chinese government shut yeah. the border so i saw them in oh, that in, in my trip because before i was like okay because i always live overseas and we were not that close but during my trip i feel like super emotional <laughs> that i book my tickets and fly back to china Aww. as soon as the china opens the border oh that's lovely the medicine just gave you some uh, interesting thing you never thought about or you kind of uh, surprise this uh, emotion definitely yeah i think we suppress a lot uh, we're taught to suppress a lot so yeah, a lot, a lot comes up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because I thought, oh, I'm strong. I'm independent. I don't need my parents support me. I'm happily living overseas by myself. But okay. not exactly in that you see. Yeah. yeah. And also for my, like two years ago, I had a Zimpadu. It's also like a ayahuasca, like a cactus yeah. plant. And I saw my previous life. It's like so vivid. Yeah. yeah. It's like wow. so many different uh, clips, like a movie. 
And, oh my gosh, that's so cool! Yeah, and I thought because before I never believe in like reincarnation or like past life right. regression. So I kind of want to listen to your opinion about uh, this part, like uh, karma and uh, past life regression. What's your thoughts from a scientific <laughs> perspective? Yeah, uh, yeah. So, oh yeah, I didn't tell that part of the story, but. So I, uh, but actually, yeah. Before I started doing the personal journey, I was going to the. I mean, I was going to get readings with my friends for fun, mm-hmm. and then I heard this podcast episode with um, Chelsea Handler, mm-hmm. and she was interviewing Laura Lynn Jackson, who's a psychic medium. And Chelsea Handler at the time was a skeptic, or you know, whatever. Mm. I've been a fan for a long time, and she's always been a skeptic. But anyway, she had Laura Lynn Jackson on, and this episode, this podcast episode, like changed my life. It's so funny because at that point I was not listening to anything spiritual reading anything spiritual I wasn't interested but um Laurel and Jackson starts talking about that the spiritual framework it's like oh it's you know we reincarnate we come back in soul groups to learn lessons and whatever and so I kind of listened and I thought how interesting that's what the psychics I went to said and um then they mentioned this book many lives many masters by Brian Weiss Mm. who's a psychiatrist who it was a case study um, about that, like past life regression. So I ordered the book and that was, that was the book that, that changed, <laughs> that kind of got me interested in all of this because it was, he, he was like a Yale, edu- Yale and Columbia educated psychiatrist, like, um, atheist, mm. didn't believe in any of this stuff, but he had this patient that he starts healing with past life regression, which means he just puts her into hypnosis regression. She starts retelling her past lives. And then usually something from that life was, traumatic like drowning let's say to death and then she kind of relives it in the hypnosis and then when she comes back one of her problems in this life is resolved like she had a fear of swimming or something um and he had been trying to treat her for a year and a half and nothing had worked and then suddenly this started working so he was like well i don't know what this is but i guess we'll just keep going and one by one her like anxiety got better Mm -hmm. and whatever like she was a mess she couldn't leave her house or she i don't remember the story exactly but Anyway, he ends up curing her. So I started digging into all the literature. I was like, well, maybe it's just this one guy or what is this? You know, I, this is so out. It was so far out there for me because mm-hmm. I was not familiar with anything at that point. Um, but I I read there were a few psychiatrists and behavioral health practitioners from like the 70s, 60s, 70s, 80s um, who stumbled like um, a, across this in their practice, like Brian Weiss, and they were just, they stayed curious and explored it and then ended up doing this with thousands of patients. And they found that it works to heal people, both emotionally and physically. Mm-hmm. And this, it does seem to be, that's the story that everyone tells when you put them in a regressed state and kind of ask them, you know, like if they're between lives or whatnot, if you ask them for what's going on, Apparently, all these thousands of people reported the same thing, saying, oh, I'm with my spirit guides. We're choosing my life. You know, this is my lesson in the last one, you know, like things like that. And so, um, yeah, so I read all those books and I, you know, I still have a hard time understanding, (laughs) but I mean, I'm open to it. I think also there was a a lot of literature um, from, where is it, University of Virginia uh, looking at kids between the ages of two to five years yeah. old who have these past life memories. Um, so there was like 2,000 or 3,000 of them now they've interviewed mm-hmm. there. And then they go to try to verify that life. Like they'll get enough details and they have all these surveys and they publish papers. So I think, I mean, honestly, I I think there's like some evidence for it. <laughs> like uh, unless there's a, there might be another story or theory mm-hmm. that we're missing. And the truth is that we don't have physics figured out yet you know like we can't reconcile regular physics with quantum physics Mm. so who knows when we when we figure some of that stuff out maybe some of this other you know spiritual quote-unquote anomalous uh, data will make more sense but I I don't I don't care that much anymore I I think it's probably true yeah (laughs) I think there's enough anecdotal evidence evidence from yeah so it's interesting. Yeah, when I visited Tibet, they are like, uh, they have Tibetan Buddhism, full, like, all in to believe the reincarnation because they select mm-hmm. the Dalai Lama based on that. That's right. 
all these children, because it's already like a thousand years history. So each child they select, they could remember the previous Dalai Lama taught them. Like such a young age, and they can recite all this Buddhism (laughs) context and uh, yes, speaking interesting language. So it's uh, interesting. It's uh, like two days ago, my Brazilian friend, he told me his daughter can speak Japanese in very young age and uh, he has no idea what's going on because her daughter was so young, like two or three years old, they can speak Japanese. He doesn't understand. I think, yeah, he also shared a lot of uh, supernatural things. Wow, that's He wants to to do the psychedelic trip to explain all his questions yeah so he shared a lot of uh, like private things about uh, his uh, supernatural encounters i find as well fascinating <laughs> i love those i love those stories now yeah because before i was just like eh. <laughs> but now i said yeah tell me more i want to know more yeah <laughs> it's interesting yeah and i i think that there's especially um you know another uh, near-death experiencers like if you listen to their stories those are really interesting too and they report very similar things mm-hmm. to um, what people report from past life regressions and also from the reincarnation like the kids that report that uh, so it's just interesting because a lot you know a lot of these people don't come from cultures that believe in reincarnation they like have no knowledge beforehand especially the kids right they're just like two yeah. years old they don't <laughs> uh, if they're growing up in a christian household suddenly yeah so yeah, I think there's quite a bit of evidence um, enough to say that we don't probably don't have the whole picture. Are there any practical things you can share with uh, people, like if they want to learn more about spirituality or just to let them be open heart, such as like a meditation or something? Yeah, you can recommend <sighs> people to try to start with. Let's see. Yeah, I mean. You know, meditation is good, but it's so over um, recommended. What I love that I've tried that is not as difficult as psychedelics, mm-hmm. but is a step up from meditation is breath work. Mm, yeah. um, so something like holotropic breath work, or there's another kind called like neurotropic. I mean, whatever. I'm sure there's a lot of different variations. But breathwork is another way to get yourself into mm-hmm. an altered state of consciousness. And it's actually, if you do it in a group, like you can have really powerful sessions, very similar to psychedelics. And it gets you to that place where you can release emotions. And a lot of people have reported, like if you read any of Stan Graf's work, a lot of people have reported seeing past lives or um, re- releasing things like that. So I think breathwork is really great because it not only gets you in touch with your body and, and your emotions. But um, if you're lucky enough, like to have or see something, yeah. you know, you might get in touch with a, a part of a, a, like a, have a spiritual mystical experience too. So I, I really like, I really like breath work. Obviously, since I did this so much, I really like getting readings. Like it's also the easiest way to for you to not do anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you don't have to meditate. You don't, yes. have, to do the, you don't have to take the second time. <laughs> yeah. All you have to do is show up. Yeah, and, no risk. <laughs> yeah, no risk. And if you don't like what you heard, throw it away. But yeah, yeah like it's kind of fun just to see, you know, what's, True. Yeah. you know, lose an hour of your time. <laughs> yeah, I had a voice activation session with a Japanese monk last month. So this monk, he's using... He uh he's doing the chanting with a beatbox, <laughs> so he kind of remixed oh. the modern technology with some uh, old tradition. Very so clever. I did that, uh, yeah, voice activation with him, and uh, it's also involved with meditation and uh, breath work. Mm-hmm. And I was like so shocked because I was not on drug, but I saw the perfect fractal patterns yes. and geometry yes. like only if i'm on lsd i will see it but yeah. with that breath working and meditation i saw it I said, whoa that's interesting. yeah so actually there's a lot of so one thing i'll say too as a neuroscientist like we don't have it all we don't have a lot of research into like sound and light mm. and how it affects your consciousness yeah. but it's starting to be done and for example, I have um, some new friends, but friends at the Institute for Advanced Consciousness Studies here in Santa Monica, 
Um, and they're doing some of that. They're looking at different technologies, um, like these light and sound yeah, experiences yeah. and how they affect your consciousness. And they're actually going to, well, they're trying to raise money for it okay. to do an ultrasound study to, to stimulate the pineal gland because no one apparently has actually studied the pineal gland in humans <laughs> that like much. So yeah, just kind of trying to see it test that hypothesis, which is floating around the spiritual wor world, but no one has ever tested. So I think that there's a lot of potential there for like light and sound and altering consciousness. And it's, it's interesting. True. What other direction you see in this uh, science world that they will lead to like more involved with the spirituality? That's a good question. I mean, I think psychedelics is probably leading the way there, but I hmm. think um all what just what i just mentioned the light and sound like explore, that kind of exploration because also what the psychedelics have done is propelled a, a kind of race for how do we get the psychedelic state and the benefits without the psychedelic so then that's why you see like some of these technologies like light and sound things yeah. like picking up um but and i think that that's and that's mainstream i mean and i know there's a lot of research like at the Institute for Noetic Sciences, where they're doing more, they're much more, they're not mainstream, they're much more open-minded, like they'll study mm -hmm. anything. Yeah. <laughs> so not anything. I mean, they're very smart. They're like, their research is very good. But um, yeah, they're more into like, let's study energy he healers, like no one studies them. Like, let's, you know, see if we can measure the change in the room, like the temperature, the pH, the whatever quantum stuff that's going on. Um, and if everything is interconnected, which everything is like systems, science tells us, right. Um, then, you know, when you change everything around you changes. So one thing that I always think about when I'm reading a lot of these studies or that we were always missing in normal science is that it's kind of like the environment and, and how that's changing. So I think there's a lot of really, um, interest. I'm trying to think if there were other, <laughs> I don't know why my brain is drawing a blank. Um, I'm sure there are other institutes that I cannot remember at the moment um, that are doing like uh, innovative research, but maybe I'll send you some mm -hmm. links later. Yeah, sure. No problem. And also I found this very interesting because um, I always feel the divided between the East and the Western culture. Because in, in Chinese culture, this kind of fortune tailor dance is very common. And uh, people like to worship those uh, spiritual oh. things. Yeah, but in Western world, I do feel like people are more rational <laughs> not uh, yeah, to see this. So what, what's your opinion on that? And it, also, you, you have this mixed uh, culture, the Persian and American yeah. culture. So what's your opinion? Yeah, I think it's so hard for me to gauge. Um, I mean, I do think mainstream, like Western culture is very, and like, rationalist uh, i mean they use that word woo woo mm, yeah to dis discount <laughs> so, anything yeah. and i i've been trying to get i've been trying to get people to realize i feel like that word is slightly racist <laughs> because it's, it's like what do they usually say it about you know yeah. it's like it's usually something that's not western uh -huh. or and so i don't know yeah i think that there's a lot of a lot of and it's part of it is just their ignorance. Like they just don't know. You don't know what mm -hmm. you don't know. Um, but yeah, I do think the I think I think that when you go down to the individual level, and I included some of this the stats in my book, but I think it was like twenty five percent of the population mm -hmm. in the U S. believes in reincarnation. I think more people than ever have reported having spiritual awakenings or experiences in the U S. and in the U K. Probably everywhere in the world, and we have people doing site we're doing more and more meditation and people are doing psychedelics now. So I think we're going to have a lot more mm. of that. So I think that actually we're probably going to start to see a shift, but I also think with that shift will come some conflict because you know, the old versus the new, which usually happens, but yeah, I think that, I think it can be tricky. You know, I don't know, like as a scientist being interested in this stuff, I always think, about how to talk about it and it, it takes a little bit of intuition to feel out who you're talking to and how to talk about it but um at the end of the day i don't think they're two things i don't think science and spirituality are two things i think mm -hmm. they're one i yeah. think it's one universe so i think that we just sure. haven't figured out 
um, the missing link or the right language to bridge them. But yeah, I don't, I just play the game and pretend they're separate for now (laughs) and talk about it separately, but they're not. Yeah. I'm sure it's the same thing. I see. Yeah. One of my friends, she's a, she used to be an entrepreneur and very rational, but then she turns into a spirituality and uh, she kind of uh, like an influencer in China and she spread the word of spirituality. But uh, so many mainstream media criticized as her as a, like a cult leader. Oh, wow. So, yeah, because uh, this is kind of uh, like uh, reminds me back to the 1970s, you know, in America, there are so many people on drugs and like so liberal and uh, so many cults also (laughs) emerging. So, you know, there's always some bad apples there, like using people's vulnerability. So what's your advice for the people who wants to enter the spirituality world, but not being scammed by those people? Yeah, I... I mean, it's always a risk. I think that especially with something like spirituality, sometimes you turn to it when you're in a vulnerable position. Mm. And I think psychedelics make you particularly vulnerable um, to, you know, changing ideas or flipping worldviews. So it is a very, very um, delicate thing. I think that I would say part of what, actually, I was going to say this, about science, the science of spirituality, but it kind of ties in here too, is oh. to is to use um, is to recognize, you know, the left and right brain. Um, I know Tom loves this. Mm. Our, yeah. our mutual yeah. friend Tom. <laughs> sure. But yeah. I but I think I think you also find a lot of this in in the esoteric and spiritual literatures of like yin and yang, right? Like rational yeah. and uh, and intuitive. Um, it, you know, using both. So. And that's another thing, like, too, when people go to get readings, you, you should never hand over your power to somebody mm. and think that what they say is true. You always have, you know, you and your life best, right? Like, you always have to check it against your own intuition. Um, so I think there's a lot of that. Like, um, mm-hmm. and I, with the same with spirituality, like, I could never personally, um, I just could not have opened to spirituality without some science. It was, a, that was just the way it was for me. So I needed findings. Like, I needed a, scientific publication in my hand (laughs) to say like some evidence you know something um and so I think that um I think that that helps too and that's why I think actually it's important to start bridging them because then then you can't have people making wild claims um you know but the problem is right now there's there aren't a lot of there's not a lot of research money there's not a lot of people trying to seriously study the bridging of these two things they're just like no that's woo woo mm-hmm. i won't touch it i'll ruin my career and it's like great that the rest of us have to suffer by not having any research findings sure. yeah. <laughs> so uh yeah i mean i hope that that changes i will see i think we're prob- probably a few years from no more than that i think we're a little while away from that i do think psychedelics are starting to shift that a mm-hmm. little bit because you see psychedelic and consciousness centers yeah. opening up at big universities but you know we'll, we'll see what happens but yeah if I had one plea to make it's like yeah if you have money to burn you should probably find some people doing interesting research and encourage yeah. it so what do you hope readers and listeners take away from your book because your book kind of also gave me a confidence and uh, affirmation to say, okay, science and the spirituality can be merged together. They are, they are together. Yeah, so, yeah. I. Mm. That's what I was hoping. Uh-huh. That's, <laughs> that's what I was hoping would happen. Yeah. So, you know, my journey was really, really hard for me. It was like, first I had an existential crisis, mm. then I had an identity crisis. I have gone, I'm still going through integrating all of it. It's a really long, difficult journey, but it's worth it. Um, and I think the book was the first step in saying, first of all, you know, like, why should you care about spirituality? Cause I never cared. Um, it, it really is valuable. Um, mm. it, it's like, <laughs> it's almost like, like if I go back in time to tell my previous self, like, you won't believe it, but it'll actually help your life. (laughs) Like you won't believe it, but your day-to-day life will actually get so much easier Mm -hmm. because yeah, you learn this way of reframing things, right? Like for me, this simple exercise of, okay, well, what, we don't really know. 
what this universe is and what reality is. And I don't care what any scientist says, since I am one, I know they don't know anything. So, you know, uh, what if we do reincarnate and what if I am learning lessons then, you know, instead of every difficult situation in my life, I can ask myself, what am I supposed to be learning here? And that helps me anyway, significantly to not be like just a victim and just being like, God, this sucks. Like, why can't this person see my point of view or whatever, you know, um, like fl flipping the script and reframing the narrative in your head, which I got from spirituality helps me a lot. Um, and then also that I guess emphasizing or highlighting that these are human experiences. Like I talk about in the book, a lot of my scientist colleagues have had them. I mean, since the book, I found whole communities well, first of all, I founded one <laughs> with a fellow neuroscientist nice. with a bunch yeah. of other neuroscientists who have had or are interested in these experiences. And there's an even bigger one that we joined with like 600 physicians oh, okay. and scholars and scientists who have all had wow. emergent experiences, what is what they call it. Um, and so I, these are common. It's just that no one talks about them. And, you know, I, I feel... Like, I guess I'm a little bit rebellious. So it's once I was, when I came into this and I was like, why doesn't anyone talk about this? Then it's mm -hmm. kind of like, we should just mm -hmm. talk about it. Mm -hmm. I don't care that it makes people uncomfortable. I don't care that you don't believe in it. <laughs> like there's, you know, there's, there's evidence and not that we have to shove it in anyone's face or anything, but I think, yeah, it was like, I was looking for permission. I finally realized that, you know, in the, during, in the journey, it was like, I keep having these interviews with people because I'm looking for permission from another scientist to basically tell me it's okay for you to believe in something <laughs> um, and then to find evidence for it. And so I wrote the book to give that to other people. Cool. Yeah. yeah. That's good. Yeah. Thanks to Tom. He, he yeah, introduced your book to me. So like, yeah, that's good. Now I can also spread the word to <laughs> my fellow uh, skeptical <laughs> science yeah. focus the friends. Yeah. yeah. And I think, I think being skeptical is fine. I think, you, I, and I, don't, I don't like the word skeptical mm. anymore. I think you want to be discerning, right? You want to discern what is valuable and what sure. is good research yeah. and what is not and what makes sense for you and what is not. So yeah, I think that that's a better way probably to approach all of this. Exactly. So last question, uh, can you tell me some upcoming projects or area you are working on or you're currently passionate about? Yeah. Uh, well, I do write a, um, as I mentioned, a psychedelics and altered states newsletter, which I still really enjoy mm. doing. So I, I am doing that. But actually, right on topic. So every year we have a big neuroscience conference. It's the Society for Neuroscience has a conference. Last year, we did a neuroscience and spirituality social and 50 scientists showed up. I thought no one was going to come. I was like, no one's going to come to this. But 50 scientists showed up and like the room was overflowing. Wow. And so they wanted to stay in touch. We started a group. We have a website this year. We wanted to do it bigger because we're like, wow, a lot of people are interested yeah. in this. Like we should, we should do something bigger this year. So we decided um, to do basically consciousness is, we didn't talk a lot about that, but you know, consciousness is one of the hard things that you can study in neuroscience, but mm -hmm. it's kind of, it used to be controversial. Um, like if you, they used to tell you, don't study consciousness, it'll ruin your career. Um, but now it's a little more open, but it's still, um, look, we just had a recent controversy actually last week where one group of scientists called another group with a different theory. Mm -hmm. They called their theory pseudoscience, even though it's one oh, of wow. the leading theories in, in neuroscience about consciousness. Okay. Anyway, so we were like, we need to have a panel and we're going to talk about alternative models of consciousness. And so that's what we're doing this year. Mm. And um, we're actually raising money for it because it's so expensive to like have the room and the food and like, and all that. But, uh, and I'll send you the link if you want to help spread <laughs> the yes. word. Yeah, um, sure, for sure. But we just got, um, yeah, like uh, uh, some of the, we got, we just got one of the biggest neuroscientists who, who leads one of the leading theories, um, Christoph Koch, to agree to come. And Donald Hoffman, who has, he's from UC Irvine. Mm, yeah, yeah, he has, he talks mm -hmm. about the fit, you know, evolutionary. Reality. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, Jonathan Schooler and, and Julia Mossbridge, who also, he has, they talk about quantum fields and he talks about electromagnetic fields, theories of consciousness. So, 
yeah, so we're putting this together to be like, we need innovative ideas, we need open minds, and we need conversation because science has become a little bit like clicky and a little bit like, uh, you know, <laughs> it's like they, with their dis. Yeah. Disproof, you know, disapproving stares and kind of quiet, like condescension, discourage, I think, conversation in the field, especially in young neuroscientists. And I think that they need to see um, some innovation and some mm-hmm. open minds. But you yeah. don't see a lot of that in science anymore, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah, for sure. Wow, that's exciting. Uh, are you guys going to like live streaming or is it more close to... It's a public event. So if you're Uh in Washington, D.C. on November 11th, um, and I'll send you all the info or I have to put on my website, but it's public. You can come. It's not at the actual conference. It's at the satellite or whatever at at the hotel. Um, And we are going to record it. Mm. I don't know if it'll be live streamed. We haven't figured that out yet. But um, yeah, we're definitely planning on recording it. Mm-hmm. Mm, that's going to be a great conversation to listen to with all these big yeah. names. Yeah. Nice. Yes, we're excited. And then we're also working on like putting together science and spirituality retreats. We did two last year. Or, I'm sorry, this year. Yeah. We're still in 2023. Yeah. <laughs> um, we did two this year and we're planning one for next year. And it'll be a space where we can present some of the science findings, but then also have people come, you know, experience. Like you were asking, like, what's a good way? Like, um, you know, we could have a light sound experience or they can get readings or mm-hmm. we could do energy classes or something. Something just happened. Oh, I don't is know. that angel coming? Out? <laughs> I don't know. I just I thought it was an earthquake, but oh, nothing oh. is moving. Wow. Okay. Thank you so much for your time. Very nice to have you and uh, chat about your book and your experience. Thank, thank you, you so much for having me. This was really fun.